You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. kick things off on a game day it's the flames and the minnesota wild game three of three on this road trip for the calgary flames after tough losses to the avalanche and the golden knights they look to salvage a win in minneapolis we're coming to you live from the doug lacy's basement systems downtown studio for our friends at doug lacy's basement systems Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. It's Logan Gordon along with you this afternoon. Flames and the Minnesota Wild at 6 o'clock tonight. An early start on this Thursday means your Flames pregame show. With the one and only Pat Steinberg goes at... 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson have the call. Again, as the Flames look to pick up what would be their only win on this three-game road trip. They're back at home for two starting Saturday night against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Busy program for you. We'll, of course, get you set for all you need to know ahead of tonight's matchup against Minnesota. We'll hear from the head coach, Ryan Huska, Captain Michael Backlund, and more on a game day. It's also Thursday, so we'll check in with our pal Adnan Verk from MLB Network. See how he feels about the whole Shohei Otani sweepstakes that went down last week. Perhaps what's left out there for the Toronto Blue Jays. Second hour, Bick Nazar is going to join us from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. A special night for the Canucks as they honor Roberto Luongo. So we'll get Bick's thoughts ahead of that. And Thursday Night Football kicks off another week of NFL action with the Raiders and the Chargers. Former Chargers All-Pro linebacker Sean Merriman going to join us to give us his thoughts ahead of tonight's matchup. Quick reminder, the fan feedback line always open to you here on the program. If you're listening live, shoot us a text at 960-960. How you feeling ahead of tonight's matchup with the Minnesota Wild? My outstanding producers on this Thursday, the one and only Cam and Taylor. Let's focus in on the Flames and the Minnesota Wild as we enter into tonight. The Flames 11-14-4, Minnesota 10-12-4. These two teams saw each other recently. Flashing back to last Tuesday, not a great night for the Calgary Flames, 5-2. The final score, Matt Boldy scored twice. Minnesota put up three goals in the second period. And the Minnesota Wild walked out with a pretty dominant 5-2 victory at the Scotiabank Saddledome. The Flames will look to turn that script and badly need a victory despite two very good efforts against Colorado and Las Vegas. The Flames have just one point to show for it and no wins on this road trip. Uh, despite getting that point in Las Vegas, safe to say coming back from the three-game road trip with no wins 
would not be good for a Calgary Flames team that enters action three games below 500 and already looking up at teams in a playoff race in the Western Conference. Hear from Ryan Huska and Michael Backlund coming up shortly to get you set on a game day. But uh, the latest news tonight ahead of this matchup against the Minnesota Wild, we knew uh, Chris Tanev was not in the lineup against the Vegas Golden Knights after leaving the game against Colorado early after a hit from Ross Colton. Well, we found out more from our colleague Eric Francis today at Sportsnet that Chris Tanev flew back to Calgary from Las Vegas and will not play in Minnesota tonight. So another night for the Calgary Flames without their top defenseman. That's a big loss once again. Of course, in that game against Vegas, we saw Jordan Osterley get in the lineup along with Dennis Gilbert. And obviously having six defensemen helped the Flames spread the load a little bit, but no doubt losing Chris Tanev for any extended period of time uh, is something that the Flames might not be able to afford after trading away uh, Nikita Zadorov to the Vancouver Canucks not all that long ago. So now two regulars for the majority of the lineup, uh, for the majority of the season, excuse me, in the lineup for the Calgary Flames now out as Chris Tanev has returned to Calgary and uh, we await an update. Last news from the Flames, Chris Tanev day-to-day with an upper body injury, but now back in Calgary and uh, we'll await some status updates once the team returns from this road trip. Let's head to the locker room, get you some pregame thoughts from the head coach, Ryan Huska. Like I mentioned, two good efforts for his club, but no wins to show for it. What's the approach for tonight's game heading into a tough matchup against the Minnesota Wild? Let's hear from head coach Ryan Huska. Mike, I started asking just to play Mackenzie Weir lately. He's one goal away from matching a career high. He's on pace for close to 20. He's been doing a lot offensively for you guys. Yeah. He uh, he's been good in that in that area for sure. Like he's he's got a shot first mentality this year, and I think playing his offside again uh, and having Raz feed him pucks, he's he's thinking a lot about shooting, and they're they're going in for him to start the year. But it's pretty complete too, right? Hits blocks yeah. as well. Like this seems to be a pretty complete package. Yeah, he's you can tell he's feeling good about where his game's at, you know. Um, and he's one of the guys that we need to be good at both ends of the ice, and I, I think he's found a way to be he's pretty consistent with his effort. Um, and any type of, you know, defense for a forwards or wherever it is they they score, they feel pretty good about themselves. So um, he he's really focused on making sure he's bringing the best version of himself every night, which is great. So, not that you needed to, but did you challenge him in any way, or did he kind of challenge himself to try, try and take another step? Yeah, he's been this way from the beginning of the year, you know, and I, I think early in the year, um, maybe not quite as good because we were trying to find pairs and partners that fit together so yeah he, he was playing with a few different people along the way so we've always been consistent with Raz over the last little while and um playing well we've got some changes that are coming in because of some injuries that we've had and he's getting bounced around a little bit again but he's still maintaining that shot mentality even though he's back on his his left side or his right side normally speaking of shots there's a pretty big jump for a guy like um Jonathan Huberto is averaging three or more shots I just wonder what you encourage him to do or how you, and I know it's an old storyline about you need to shoot more, but he has a lot more success when he is. This, are you seeing any more progression then? He, uh, he thinks about it all the time. Like we, you have discussions with him. He's, it's, it's so ingrained in him that he's a pass first guy, but um, he also knows that he's got a good shot and he can score it. We've seen examples of that in, in the past and he wants to be um, a shot threat. So his biggest thing is making the right decision as to when am I a pass or when am I a shooter? And, um, 
when he's at his very best, those decisions come really naturally and easy for him, for sure. You mentioned injuries. Chris Denis, we saw a report that he is back home in Calgary. What can you tell us about his injury? He's, uh, like we mentioned before, he's off for body injury and he's a day-to-day guy for us. Yeah. He's not too long ago, soft the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. What can you expect out of this game and what do you do to be I think a lot of the same. Um, they skated and they worked and we weren't ready for that in the first period in Calgary and we have to make sure we're, we're um, much more prepared for that to start the game here today. There you go. Pre-game media thoughts from Ryan Huska. As he mentioned, the Flames lost 5-2 to the Minnesota Wild at the Scotiabank Saddledome last week. Perhaps going to Minnesota will change that narrative for the Flames. They've been very good in Minnesota. A 7-2-2 record since the start of 2015. Eight of those 11 games have been one-goal games. Flames with one of their best road point percentages against any single opponent since that 2015-2016 season uh, is in Minnesota. So we'll see if they can continue that success. It's been a bit of a grind for the Flames. Their last six games, one four and one record, three point one seven goals per game. Goals against sitting at four point three three. We know the power play has struggled. They've gone just two for fifteen in their last six. But perhaps again, a Minnesota penalty kill that's been uh, one of the worst in the NHL this year. Maybe the tonic the Calgary Flames need to pick back up their penalty kill. Uh, 66 for 92 on the PK. That's 71%. That's the lowest in the NHL, and it's worse at home than it is at ho- on the road. They're at 67.5% at home. If they finish around that mark, that'd be the third lowest in NHL history. And they started tracking uh, penalty kill percentage back in 1977-1978. So the Minnesota Wild, with a historically bad home penalty kill percentage, sitting at 67.5%. Perhaps that's the tonic the Flames need uh, to get their lowly power play going. We'll see what uh, comes of the special teams battle tonight. Of course, Minnesota uh, under new head coach John Hines. Uh, One of their victories under Hines came last week in Calgary, but they've been a remarkably better team so far under Hines than they were under Evison. Uh, Their goals per game is up. Goals against is down. Their record is 5-2 in seven games plus 13 on the goal differential, and they're operating at 25% on the power play. So they've gotten that new coach bump in Minnesota. They're looking to continue that tonight against the Calgary Flames. Let's continue to go to the locker room. Let's hear from Captain Michael Backlund on a game day against the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, I know it was a huge game for us here. Um, you know, we're, we were right there at the wild card spot. And, uh, you know, since then we've been sliding a bit. So now it's time we start picking up again and uh, get to collect points and win games so we can climb our way up to a playoff spot. I know there's a level of disappointment after the last two games, but you had to like, you know, the fight and, and the energy you guys played with against, again, two of those top teams. Yeah, for sure. Um, the effort was there. Um, everyone battled hard, played hard. And, um a little different game, so we, you know, we've been up in so many or down in so many games yeah. and had to chase it. And now, two games, big games, we were up, and uh, you know, we got to learn and find a way to win those games. And uh, um, that's a big key for us now, learning how to win games in every different situation. I think it's three straight games you scored first. Now I'm, you talked about starts. It seems like that's an area you guys have been dressed pretty well here as of late. Yeah, I know we talked about us players and then coaches as well. So we all uh, felt that was a big need of change and it's been better since we did that and yeah uh, now we just got to win those games when we're up what do you see in in those moments when you're playing those teams you know and and whatever the situation is in those tight games but where the difference is of where you find a way to win it you know find a way to close one out versus you know the other way yeah i think at times uh 
got to learn to make the easier play, maybe make a play. Hasko uh, uh, always says, you know, uh, fight, what do you say? Uh, fight to live another day or something like that. Right, right, right. Uh, don't always have to make the pretty play, and uh, especially when you're down or up games in the, in the third period on the road. You just got to, um, you know, make the right place and, uh, yeah, be composed as a team. Um, if they Even if they score one, um, stay, keep that composure and uh, be calm and just keep going. One last one for you, and that's just you just saw these guys, you know, a little over a week ago. What is kind of uh, one of the areas of focus against this group? Well, last time we had a really bad start, probably one of the worst in the whole season. So, uh, but they're a good team, you know, they come out hard. You can tell with the coaching change to play a fast game, they're in your face the whole time. So, we got to be prepared for that. There you go. Checking in on the Flames locker room on a game day, as we always do here on Sportsnet today. That's Michael Backlund getting you set for the Flames and the Minnesota Wild. Flames and Wild, part of an eight-game NHL schedule tonight that gets going at 5 o'clock with the Capitals in Philly, getting set to take on the Flyers. You also have the Blue Jackets in Toronto to take on the Leafs. Carolina's in Detroit to take on the Red Wings. Of course, you want to watch the Flames and the Wild tonight. You can do so on Sportsnet West at 6 o'clock. Also at 6, it's the Senators in St. Louis to take on the Blues. St. Louis's first game since firing head coach Craig Berube. You also have Tampa Bay up the road in Edmonton, getting set to take on the Oilers. Tampa is Calgary's next opponent Saturday night for Hockey Night in Canada here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. That game on Sportsnet 1, Chicago in Seattle at 8 o'clock. And uh, ending off the NHL schedule tonight, it's the Panthers in Vancouver, getting set to take on the Canucks. It is Roberto Luongo night in Vancouver he will uh, join a list of players that includes Pat Quinn, Matthias Oland, Kirk McLean, and others in the Canucks Ring of Honor. Played 448 games with the Canucks, a 919 save percentage through his eight seasons in a Canucks jersey. So they will welcome him into the Canucks Ring of Honor tonight for Roberto Luongo night in Vancouver. Uh, of course, the other team that he spent the majority of his NHL career with, the Florida Panthers. Uh, making up the opposition tonight in Vancouver. So excited to see uh, Roberto Luongo join the Canucks Ring of Honor in Vancouver. Uh, Big Nazar, our pal from Sportsnet, 650 in Vancouver, will join us in hour two to give us a little preview of everything that's going to go down in Vancouver tonight. Uh, we'll also dive into uh, some Vancouver fans questioning whether or not he should be a Ring of Honor recipient or if he should have his jersey retired uh, permanently by the Canucks. And, Interesting because that's a bit of a question that's coming up in Calgary too when it's come to the um, Forever Aflame program and then the Jersey retirement one. I know there are some Flames fans that look at the Forever Aflame program and wish those numbers were retired permanently, but uh, we'll see what Bick thinks about that ahead of Roberto Luongo night for the Canucks. Again, eight games on the NHL schedule tonight, including the Flames and the Minnesota Wild. Let's check in once again. On the Flames locker room, getting you set for a game day against the Minnesota Wild. Adam Ruzichka, been on the fourth line the last couple of games, still looking for more production, uh, but feels like his line's been working well. Uh, it's his 100th career NHL game tonight in Minnesota. Let's check in with Flames forward Adam Ruzichka. Well, it just shows we came, almost came back into Vegas, so uh, it just shows the urgency we have, and uh, we can we can come up with 200, uh, 500, point, uh, 500, whatever percentage. And uh, just kick off the road trip, you know. Well, I mean, when you look at uh, the opponent you just saw him just a little over a week ago, what, yeah. uh, what do you got to keep in mind here tonight? Good start. We, we didn't start good. First appearance was kind of awful that we played, and uh, 
we just we just got to be prepared to play and uh, just be ready after half. Game number 100 for you tonight. Uh, yeah. What does that mean to, uh, to hit a milestone 100 games? Well, it's uh, it's starting to look like they play in the NHL. Uh, you know, 100 games is something to look at, but uh, I'm looking forward to many more. I mean, it's what about just the, the growth here too? And you know, you get 100 games, and obviously yeah. that's all about consistency. You wanted to be, you know, you know, continue that that journey. But what have you thought about just sort of the progression as you get to this? Point? Well, you know, it's started first two years up and down in the lineup. You know, now I kind of established myself being in the league, being in a team, and uh, just being a good player for the team and trying to trying to win. And there's obviously opportunities too. I mean, when you look at uh, you know the way that the lineup's kind of set up, you're trying to make an impact on a nightly yeah. basis. I mean, what does that look like for your line? in particular and, and how you have to be successful? Well, we feed off each other, right? We have three hardworking guys and we can we can do great things if we're on uh, on our game, every every game, and uh, I think we're, we're going to be working really well together. Checking in with Adam Ruzicka live from the Flames locker room. Uh, the Flames and the Minnesota Wild, kind of game number 100 for Adam Ruzicka. Um, more consistency, I think, still needed from Adam's game. I think most fans... Uh, that watch Adam on a regular basis. Uh, and I like how Pat put it recently when they were talking about Adam, that toolbox is there for Adam, but I don't know that we always see it at its fullest. 24 games this season, three goals, five assists for eight points. He's sitting at minus five uh, in his career when he hits game 100 tonight. Uh, he's at 39 points in his uh, NHL career. So we'll see. Just eight minutes and six seconds played for Adam Ruzicka last out against Vegas. His numbers... Uh, for time on ice, have slipped the last couple of games. Just 6:44 against Colorado, and then at home against the New Jersey Devils uh, last Saturday, 9:27 time on ice. So he hasn't eclipsed the 10-minute mark since that game against Carolina, and even in that game, uh, just 10:12 of ice time for Adam Ruzicka. So we'll see if his place on that fourth line uh, continues. Maybe they go back to Walker Dewar, or uh, perhaps try to find a different spot for Adam in the lineup as they uh, continue his progression now uh, past 100 games in the National Hockey League. I mentioned Thursday night football kicking off NFL, another week of the NFL season tonight. It's the Chargers and the Raiders, 6:15 kickoff. These two clubs are injured and doesn't look like either one of them are heading to the playoffs. Both teams enter tonight with five and eight records. Your quarterback matchup is Easton Stick versus Aiden O'Connell. Doesn't sound like Josh Jacobs is going to be able to go for the Raiders tonight, so they'll be without their starting running back. Keenan Allen, star receiver for the Chargers, having uh, one of his best career seasons. He is out with an injury as well. So some top offensive weapons missing in this game uh, as we kick off another week of NFL football. It's week 15, also three games on Saturday this week, but to preview... The Chargers and the Raiders will have former Chargers linebacker, uh, former NFL All-Pro linebacker, I should say, Sean Merriman. He's going to join us in Hour 2 to get you set for Thursday night football. But we're, of course, focused in on the Flames and the Minnesota Wild. That's uh, our focus on a game day. Again, a 6 p.m. puck drop uh, a little earlier tonight out in Minnesota. Flames warm up with Pat goes at 5. He'll get you set with everything you need to know. The latest from Minnesota today. Chris Tanev will not play for the Calgary Flames. He has gone back to Calgary and is dealing uh, still with that upper body injury. Suffered early in that game against Colorado. Haven't seen him since then. And going to be another tough night for the Flames' blue line, of course. No Nikita Zadorov. He's in Vancouver since the trade. 
Now Chris Tanev will miss his second straight. You might as well call it his third straight contest because it was only, what, 15, 10 seconds into that game in Colorado when he took that hit from Ross Colton. So might as well call it the third straight game that the Flames have been without probably their most reliable defensive option on the blue line. It's going to be a big test for this group. We've seen Jordan Osterley. We've seen Dennis Gilbert. And, of course, Ilya Solovyov at different times filling in the holes on the blue line. Uh, no word yet on what the Flames' deep pairings might look like ahead of tonight's game against Minnesota. Of course, assume the regulars, Anderson with Weger, Hannafin uh, will likely have to play uh, with a different D partner because Chris Tanev, of course, not going to be available for tonight's matchup. Uh, so to come on the program, Adnan Virk's going to join us in a couple of moments. Looking forward to chatting with AV from MLB Network. Uh, the Jays missed out on Shohei Otani, but is there a way that they can salvage the rest of this offseason? We'll dive into that with Virk coming up. Of course, we'll chat about his Philadelphia Eagles. It's a busy show on a Thursday. It's a game day. Getting you set for the Flames and the Minnesota Wild. We're talking a little bit baseball with our pal Adnan Virk. Our Thursday regular is next when Sportsnet Today returns here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Despite many Jays fans feeling as though the offseason ended over the weekend when Shohei Otani signed that massive deal with the Dodgers and wasn't, in fact, on a flight to Toronto, there is still lots of time left and lots of moves to be made. The who and when and how much still to be determined. And I'll admit it does feel like it's all going to fall short of what could have been for Toronto. But nonetheless, we look ahead. There's still lots to be done this offseason. And we continue to sort through the fallout of Shohei and the Dodgers and the perfect person to go through all of that with is our next guest coming down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline from MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast. It's our pal, Adnan Verk. AV, how are you, pal? I'm doing great, Logo. How you doing, brother? We're doing good, man. Um, what was last Friday like for you? I'm curious because we were full Shohei Otani watch, of course, being a Rogers-owned company and radio station. Uh, we were fully bought in. We were tracking the plane. We were frustrated when it was just some dude from Dragon's Den. And we were all caught off guard the next day when Shohei announced he was off to the Dodgers, despite that always feeling like the real thing that was going to happen. What were you doing on Friday? What was the, the buzz like around uh, your parts? Well, it was amazing, Logo. I was off that day, but I was on because, as you have noted, Everybody was hitting me up. I think I took a nap at one point, and I went back to my phone. There was like 20 text messages. Everyone wanted to know, is Otani on the plane? Is it happening or not? You must know. You work for Major League Baseball, and it was an incredible ride. Uh, as I said to you previously, I never thought he was going to go to the Blue Jays. I said he's going to the Dodgers. It just makes too much sense. No one's going to turn down Southern California and that rich tradition of history that the Dodgers have and the winning that they've done. But I'll tell you, after three days of the winter meetings in Nashville, when Tom Verducci on Wednesday said to me, and I respect Tom more than anybody, he's been writing for Sports Illustrated since I could read. When he said to me, no, I just wrote today for SI, I think he's going to Toronto. I said, really? And he started explaining it to me. I said, oh, my God. He goes, I, he goes honestly, it's a no-brainer. I'm kind of shocked we didn't think of this before. And his outlining was, it's a major telecommunications company in Rogers that's good for his brand. He already owns Japan and America. Now he's going to own Canada. It'll be his team. Rather than the Dodgers, it'll be Mookie's team or Freddie's team or the Jays. No, Vlad and Bo are there, but it'll be his team. Otani will take them to the next level. 
They've been an underachieving team the last couple of years, but if they go to a different level, Otani will take the credit for that. Um, he likes playing in a controlled environment, the Dome at Rogers Center, very similar to the Dome he played in Japan. And he's a workout freak. He just wants to get after it. And the Jays had just spent $100 million in Dunedin on their spring training facility and, of course, the $300 million in improvements to the Rogers Center. So Tom is selling me on this hard. I go, okay, yeah, I guess he's going to the Jays. And Greg Amsinger, who's one of our MLB Network hosts, said he was in line for Starbucks in Nashville, and John Schneider smacked him on the butt. And he goes, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Because Greg kept saying on the air, Jays are going to get Otani. And John goes, we're getting them. So add that to what you're talking about, which is Friday. Everyone thinks he's on this plane, and they're tracking a jet. And I was on with our friends in Toronto at the Fan 590, and they're losing their minds. And I said, wow, I, I was completely convinced, Logan. I go, you know what? Once I thought of it logically, and the Jays can spend money if need be, I said, yeah, he's on that jet. For the story to unravel the way it did, it was just at home in Southern California, and it was a Shark Tank businessman, Robert Herjavec, 61 years of age with his phone turned off, looking after two five-year-old twins. I mean, it's, it's laughable without retrospect. The idea of the Canadian customs officials getting on the jet saying, where is he? Where is he? What do you mean? I'm just Robert Herjavec from Shark Tank. Oh, uh, show us your passport. Have a good day, sir. It, it was a wild ride for sure. And I tell you, man, for 48 hours, I thought the Jays were going to go Tani. And then it all came crashing down with an Instagram post on a Saturday afternoon from the man himself and Shohei saying he's going to the Dodgers. Wild. So before we get into the fallout for the Jays, let's talk about this from a Dodgers perspective. I know you and me had talked about this heading into uh, the finale of this sweepstakes, but I mean, it almost was too easy even before we get into the contract and the structure and all of that. The Dodgers were always the easy option for him in the sense that he didn't really have to move all that far, maybe at all, depending on where exactly he lives. The Dodgers have a winning organization and pretty much his lifestyle wouldn't have to change much from what he had with the Angels. Like, I know we were all on, and I was on board as much as anybody, that, hey, I want him to come to Toronto and maybe this makes sense, but I don't think there was any denying that the Dodgers were always a front runner for this uh, kind of deal. Without question, Logan. Listen, I know Calgary's a lovely place. I'm very proud of the fact I was born in Toronto, but if you've been to Southern California, it's pretty tough not to love, okay? It's 80 and sunny, it's palm trees, it's the beach, it's a wonderful place to be at all times of the year. And the Dodgers represent really the best of what baseball has to offer. Yes, they haven't capitalized on enough World Series titles. That is fair, but they did win a World Series in 2020 and have won the division 10 of the last 11 years. And as I witness of a $700 million contract, they will always spend money to be a winner as well. And don't get me started on the deferrals, which I thought was a joke. When I saw Jeff Passatree, I said, they're kidding, right? He's going to get paid $2 million a year. There's 451 players in baseball who get paid $2 million a year. And next year and for the next 10 years, Otani will be one of them. That is going to get $68 million a year. Epic deferred money from the Dodgers. Amazing contract. He does it. Why? Because he wants the Dodgers to win. He wants them to have payroll flexibility. He wants them to go out there and sign somebody else. And they can now go sign Yamamoto, the 25-year-old Japanese pitcher, who many are expecting is going to get $25 million a year. I mean, listen, he is right now at 25 years of age, the best raging pitcher out there on the market. And great fastball, great split. Again, they thought $200 million for him. If you look at the math on it, Logan, if it ends up being, let's say, an eight-year deal, 240 30 a year, 
The Dodgers are like, yeah, no problem, because they're saving that money on Otani the way the contract's deferred. They can go out and get a pitcher like him. And make no mistake, I said to my buddy and colleague, Dan Plesak, are the Dodgers now the favorites to win? He was like, eh. He goes, their pitching's still a little shaky. Because you look at those starters, like Kershaw's year-to-year, Walker Buehler's coming off Tommy John. Pepio's a good young pitcher, so is Bobby Miller. But, like, Urias is done. Like, we're not really totally sure because Atlanta's pitching is pretty good, especially in comparison to L.A., and their offense is just as good. But if they get Yamamoto or if the rumored trade, if they get Tyler Glass now, who I think is an absolute stud, I mean, if they get him, then it becomes a much different story. So um, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all develops, man. But I, I think ultimately the Dodgers getting Otani means that they remain the biggest story in town because they've got the three kings now between Otani, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. And Mookie and Freddie, by the way, were second and third in MVP voting. So these guys are no slots with themselves. So I think it's a real coup for L.A. And honestly, man, as I told you all along, I thought it was the predictable choice. I mean, if you want to win and you want to be in a great environment, and he's already comfortable in Los Angeles, I don't know why he'd leave. Even as Verducci and Amsterdam and these people, John Morosi reporting about Otani and the Jays, I'm like, I get it. Trust me, I'm more pro-Toronto than anybody. But what can the Jays sell the Dodgers can't? There's nothing. L.A. was always the team to beat, and they proved that. And I think my understanding is, by the way, you know, other teams came close. Farhan Zaidi, the Giants, who I'm a big fan of, you know, he said to the fan base yesterday, our offer was competitive. So read that as you were. Maybe they were offering $700 million. Ultimately, Shohei wanted to stay in L.A., period. He just wanted to go to a better team, and that better team is the Dodgers. Back to that contract that he got here, and you talked about those deferrals. Is this something in your mind that, Major League Baseball needs to fix in the next CBA. I, I couldn't believe, and I still can't believe, the amount of deferral money and the way that he's going to, you know, and look, I mean, he's $50 million off of endorsements. That's great. But, you know, even the state of California has to be mad about how this contract was laid out. And I can't imagine how small town, you know, small market teams feel about this kind of deal, Adnan, because they're getting out of, you know, going to another bracket in luxury tax. Like, is this something that's going to create an issue in the next CBA in your mind? Yeah, I'm not quite there yet. Like, I don't, I don't know how it'll rankle on a different level, but, but you are right. It was eye-opening. I mean, I, no kidding. When I, when I saw the tweet, I go, that's a joke. Like, that, that can't be Jeff Patton's account. He was hacked. You know, he's just being funny. And to know this is actually legit. I'm like, wow. Like, I just can't imagine why a player would agree to that. Unless, <laughs> excuse me, in Otani's case, he really does want to win more than anything, which yeah. is, is giving the Dodgers. Like, you see that contract and you go, well, that's not great if you're the union, but it's great for the team. And it certainly ends up being great for the player. Like, ultimately, he'll get his money. There's no question about that. And it'll be kind of funny. Like, he'll be, you know, 45 years old, just cashing checks, making $60 million a year, wherever he may be. He might be a part owner at that point in time. But he wants to win. And, and if you look at the, what it hurts against the competitive balance tax, it's $46 million a year which isn't as much of a savings as I thought it'd be, but it's still significant. It's not $70 million. So, like, if you're saving $24 million there by the way that he's being deferred, again, you can go and get that ace pitcher that will really help fortify that starting pitching. And if you can't get Yamamoto, maybe you get Blake Snell, get him $200 million over seven years. Again, $30 million a year. That, that's where you make up that, that money that Otani is saving you. So, I'm with you, man. I, I was stunned by it. I still have a tough time believing it. $70 million and you're only getting $2 million a year, it just, it just sounds ludicrous. But, hey, if it works out for the team, the Dodgers are good by it. If it works out for the player, Otani's good by it. 
they'll figure it out. But you're right. I, I, I'm absolutely certain. If you're the Royals or the Pirates and Twins, like, you know, I, th- I think the other part of it, too, is if you're the other big market teams, like if you're Steve Cohen, you go, well, shoot, I could have done that. Like, I, I didn't know that was an option. Like, <laughs> I'll defer the money then, too. And, like, and I guess it does happen. Like, Al Leiter was telling me, the former Mets pitcher, great guy, former Jay, by the way, seven years in yes, Toronto, sir. always speaks well with Jays, 93 World Series. He said to me, um, Steve Phillips came to him years ago and said, listen, I'm trying to sign a couple of guys. You're willing to defer some money. And Al's like, well, you know, make me an offer. And basically explaining is if I defer the money, you get at, you know this much of an interest rate, blah, blah, blah. Like, it is the smart move for the player. You're going to get more money if you just wait a little bit for it. If you're not the kind of guy who's waiting paycheck to paycheck, which Atani clearly isn't, it ends up working out for both sides. So I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it doesn't happen more often, and I think now it certainly will happen more often. The fact that Atani did it, he's a trailblazer once again. Well, especially when you're in a, a tax-heavy state like California, Adnan. I mean, as soon as that contract's done – like, he's out of California, and oh, any of that deferred money coming his way, he's going to go to Florida or somewhere else where he's not going to get taxed nearly as heavily on it. From the player's perspective, you're done playing baseball, but you're, what, 39 years old if you're Shohei Otani, and you're now going to be cashing $68 million a year for the next 10 years? I mean, yeah, it, it seems like a pretty good deal if you're Shohei, too. Yeah, that was kind of Al's point to me. Because, you know, unless you're from California and you intend to live there after, that's different. Like, well, you know what? Or, like, you know, I live in a heavily taxed area, New Jersey or New York. Like, if yeah. you're just from the area and you say, hey, no matter what, I'm always going to be here, then that's one thing. But you're right. He said, if you're from Texas or from Florida or have plans to perhaps move at some point, oh, yeah, defer that money. And once you retire, go with your family to whatever state that does not gouge you the way those stuffs are, and, and you're good to go. I mean, I think California is the fifth most taxed state in the country. So you're right. I, I can't imagine. Shino Tani is 29 years old right now. He plays 10 years, 39. He's such a freak. He might keep playing into his 40s, like, you know, Barry Bonds or Hank Aaron or someone. So I don't even know if this is his last contract, which is crazy to think about. But suppose when he's 45, he's officially done. The, the deferrals keep kicking in. You're right. He's not going to be living in Orange County. No. I'm sure he'll visit California a bunch, but he'll be living somewhere else. and He'll take advantage of those tax dollars. So the fallout from this now, it feels like the Jays, because of the plane and because of the story and everything, they felt like the immediate losers in this and the team that missed out the most. You're right. I think there were other teams that were in the conversation. I don't think this was ever just a, a simply the going to the Dodgers or no one else sort of conversation. But if you're the Jays, you have to feel a little disappointed that you were in the running and you missed out because I've heard it. I've talked to some of our friends at 590 as well, Adnan, and the feeling already missing out on Shohei is it doesn't matter what the rest of the off season looks like right now for Jays fans, because nothing compares to the excitement and the thought that Shohei was going to be in the lineup. They might be a better team. Maybe they spread their dollars out in a better way and they're an even balanced team better than they were last year, but it's still not going to feel the same as if Shohei was there. I mean, the aforementioned Steve Phillips, who, again, does a great job on MLB Network Radio, one of our colleagues at MLB Network. You know, he was open and up front. And honestly, I wouldn't sign the deal. Like, as a GM, I would feel like, wait, $700 million? I'd rather spread that around, get a pitcher here, reliever there, offensive player here. Like, I, I can spend it better rather than just on one guy. But clearly the Dodgers bean counters looked at it and said, okay, we can make money off this deal. Like, the signage that we'll have at Dodger Stadium – in Japanese, you know, that will cover things. You know, the the money that we'll get for airing all the Dodgers games in Japan, we're going to make money off of that. One one that I was surprised by, I kept thinking jersey sales, but I looked it up. Jersey sales are not as lucrative as you might think. The, the, most of that money ends up going to the players, 
and the teams that do get it split that revenue. So this concept of like, oh, if there's, you know, five million jerseys sold, five million dollars to the Dodgers, it actually doesn't work out that way when I looked it up. But it's more like I said, revenue from signage and advertising dollars, and uh, certainly the broadcast rights will be huge in Japan. But to your point, just as a team, you go, all right, if the Jays got Otani, it would have been awesome because he's going to hit you 45 home runs. He'll drive in 100, he'll hit 300, at least for 2024, and you've got Bo and Vlad for two more years. So those three stars together are like, oh, my God, watch out, especially how good the Jays' starting pitching was in 2024. But by not getting him, you take a deep breath and say, okay, so what are we looking at here? We're an 89-win team that underachieved this year. The Yankees got Soto, who I believe is a stud. I think he's a top-five hitter in baseball, and I think he's going to rake in New York. I mean, he's going into a free agent year. I don't think they're going to sign him before. Scott Boris will want to test the market, super agent that he is. I think he's going to mash. Him and Judge together are going to be awesome. And the Yankees were an 82-win team. So they should be better. And they're not done yet either. They might go get Yamamoto, which would really help their rotation and give them a 1B to the 1A that is Garrett Cole. Nestor Cortez bounces back. You know, hopefully Rodon bounces back. Sirino's now gone to the Mets. But point is, the Yankees are going to be better. The Orioles, we've seen collection of great young stars. They're going to win 100 games. And the Rays won't do anything this offseason except perhaps trade Tyler Glass now. And somehow they're still going to win 92 games. So the Jays have to look at it and say, all right, <clears throat> it does suck that we did not get Otani. But we do have to get better. And specifically, the offense has to improve. And a left-handed power bat would be great. And who is that but Cody Bellinger? And the thought is right now, I was talking to one of the Cubs insiders who writes to the Athletic yesterday in MLB Network. And he goes, the word is, it's down to Cubs or Jays. Like, those are the two biggest suitors for him. San Francisco always wants a bat, but nobody wants to hit in that park, period. You're, unless you're Barry Bonds that wind is a tough place to play. Bellinger probably doesn't want to play in San Francisco. So all things being equal, do you stay with the Cubs where you're resurrected, hit 306, you know, 27 home runs, 95 RBI, whatever it was, or go to Toronto if they're going to give you more money? And originally I would have said Bellinger seven years, 175. Like he had three years logo where his numbers were down significantly. Like he had like a buck 65 one year. He really kind of lost himself. This year they say because he was healthy and his shoulder was fully repaired he was able to mash but that's still to me a pretty big risk you're taking a guy who's Bellinger's like 28 years old 28 29 you're going to give him like a multi-year contract like I'd love four years at like a you know five years 125 I'd feel great 25 million dollars a year he just got paid 19 million dollars this year I would love five for 125 but that's not going to get it done I think it's more like seven for 175 at least at the beginning of free agency again 25 million a year makes sense but seven years is risky but here's the problem, supply and demand. Everyone knows the Jays wanted Otani and were willing to spend that money and didn't. So Scott Moore's going to go, hey, don't try to play cheap with me. I know you guys got $700 million you're willing to spend on Otani. So don't give me the, oh, I don't have any money here. And the Cubs, obviously, they want to spend. They just got Craig Council, who's making $8 million a year as a manager. Hey, you guys better not be cheap with me. Bellinger was your best offensive player. Let's not mess around. So I heard some rumors now. Bellinger might get like 10 years 250, which is insane Jeez. to me. Like, I, I love the guy, man. I, I, he's a former MVP. I think he's a legitimately great player. But this is one bounce back year after three crappy years. I can't give you a fully guaranteed 10-year contract for 250. That's wild to me. But there's some rumors around that floating around. And, again, I wouldn't count it out with Scott Boris, and I wouldn't count it out considering the teams involved. Everyone knows the Jays don't get an impact bat. Everyone's going to go, ah, there you go. Typical Jays, typical Canada. 
inferiority complex, coming up second next to America, coming up second next to L.A. They couldn't get it done. 89-win team, and you didn't do anything big? Like, that, that's horrible. Yeah. So can Boris and Bellinger use that to their advantage to drive up the price? I don't know. We'll see. But the big picture, like you said, the Jays have work to do, and they know that, and that begins with their offense. He's Adnan Enverk from MLB Network, our Thursday regular here on Sportsnet today, uh, talking all the things fallout from the Shohei Otani signing. One thing I haven't heard discussed enough, and maybe it's just because we've started to dismiss them in this whole conversation, but shouldn't we have a discussion about what a failure this has been from the Angels side of things, Adnan, and the fact that they had all these years of Trout and Otani and they accomplished absolutely nothing? I, it's pretty horrible, man. I saw my old colleague and friend Buster only saying something to that effect, like just what a disaster this was for the Angels. Like, he comes over and has a specific set of rules, right? I want to be able to hit. I want to be able to pitch. Most teams are skittish about that, including the Yankees. Eventually, the Angels seem like they're the most willing to play ball. You know, he's rookie of the year. Obviously, he has excitement right out of the gate. Then he battles injuries. Tommy John, okay. Eventually, they let him loose in 21. Hey, man, it's all yours. Okay, great. And then over a three-year span, he wins the MVP twice and then finish runner-up to Aaron Judge. And you're telling me you couldn't even make the playoffs. Like, it's, it's awful. I mean, if you looked in any other sport, if you said you had a player of this type of talent, and in the NBA, if you were LeBron, for six years you couldn't even make the playoffs, you'd go, that is criminal. I mean, that is just it, – it's almost difficult to fathom. If you had Mahomes for six years and the Chiefs couldn't make the playoffs, you'd go, what are you doing? Like, you can't even make the playoffs? What's wrong with you guys? Build a team around him. But they just couldn't do it. And, by the way, of course, they've had Trout. So imagine, it's like the Chiefs, Mahomes and Kelsey, you got two superstars, and you guys can't make the playoffs. Like that, that, that's almost impossible. And that's what ended up happening for the Angels. And, again, baseball's a tough sport. It's tough to be consistent to win all the time. But in six years, if you told me you had Otani and he won MVP twice and he was second the other year, you should have made the playoffs those years, period. Three out of six years, you should have made the playoffs and at least won a round and given Otani a taste of playoff success. For him to be at this age, to be a two-team MVP, to never even sniff the postseason, like your one chance was this summer you went for, and then the team was a disaster. They completely went in the tank. They gave up prospects, and they stunk. So even when they should have traded Otani, they didn't. They held on to him, and they lose him. It's, um, it's definitely going to go down the record books, one of the worst all-time management decisions, because the contract was incredibly feasible. Like, he was not getting paid a ton. It was, it was very, very cheap by the standards of what he did. But for them to accomplish that little, it, it must be so depressing to be an Angels fan. I can't imagine. Uh, moving on to some other topics. Uh, you getting a little nervous about your Eagles the last couple of weeks, or are you going to wait and see how things go on Monday? <laughs> a little bit now, man. Listen, <laughs> this, was a gauntlet, this was a gauntlet of a schedule. I mean, you know, when I look Fair. back overall and go, man, they beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills in a game they shouldn't have won. Like, they were really you know, flirting with disaster and playing with fire and came out great. 10-1 was 10-1. Niners beat him, period. The Niners play that well. They look like the best team in the NFC. Eagles laid an egg. Okay, fine. But the Dallas game is definitely disconcerting because their defense, again, like this is now like five straight games. Their defense has been beaten up. And my old friend Michael Lombardi, the GM Shuffle, said on his podcast this week, he's right. If you block the Eagles, then you can beat them. Like the defensive line is the strength of that team. You saw Jalen Carter, the scoop and score. Fletcher Cox, my man, still great at 32. Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, et cetera. He goes, their defensive line is the strength of that team. But if you can block them, and the Cowboys' offensive line did an incredible job blocking the Eagles' defensive line, and you're going to win. Because our linebackers aren't very good, and our secondary isn't very good. And that's been the surprise. Darius Slay was awfully good for the last couple of seasons. 
He's taken a step back, and James Bradbury has definitely been exposed. So I'm getting tired of watching quarterbacks like Dak Prescott and Brock Purdy just feasting off the fact that our secondary can't stop anybody. And if we can't generate pressure, they're going to pick us apart. A couple of stats in particular, which are really alarming as an Eagles fan, they're 32nd on third downs. Like, they're just terrible. Like, every wow. time third and like, – it was shocking to me, Logan. I'm like, every time Dallas is like third and seven, they convert. Like, that can't happen. Years ago, I looked it up, and they said, if you can, if you can convert 40% of your third downs, that's a winning team. The Eagles are giving up more than that as a defense, and then their red zone offense isn't very good either. So that's a recipe for disaster. And against Dallas, they were moving the ball and then three untimely turnovers. Devontae Smith's fumble, A.J. Brown's fumble, Jalen Hurts' fumble. That just can't happen. The three best players turn the ball over even when you had some momentum. So all of which is to say it's been a bear of a schedule. There's no question about it. I don't know if Geno Smith is playing on Monday. If he isn't, that's a big win. If he is, D.K. Metcalf could have a big day against his much maligned secondary. But I do think the Eagles will write the ship. I'm very happy the last three games are two against the Giants, sandwiched around a game against Arizona, so that's nice. And as Harold Reynolds, my colleague, was saying to me yesterday, he goes, listen, man, the NFL, you just got to get to the playoffs and just take a deep breath and be healthy. That's the biggest thing. Like, I, I really want that one seed because, to me, it's just two games, you're in the Super Bowl. Naturally, that's what you want. But if it ends up being San Francisco or Dallas, so be it. I think you really want the bye, but then you really want the division. And ultimately, the Cowboys and Eagles both tied at 10-3, and but Philly's schedule is clearly easier these last four games of the year. So I feel like we go three and one, and ultimately we're thirteen and four, and that should be enough to win the division. And hopefully, it's enough for a number one seed. Not sure about the second part, but yeah, concern meter right now one to ten. I'm about about a three or four. Like if you asked me a week ago, I'm about a one. I'm like, hey, we're, we were going to lose a game <laughs> at some point. Yeah, but uh, the defense has been a little bit beaten up. The Seattle game is interesting because always traveling to Seattle is tough, as you know. Hopefully, Gino's not playing. But even if they lose this one, ten and four, fully confident they win the last three games. And again, come playoff time, just be healthy. I'm more concerned about your guys. Justin Herbert, unfortunately, oh, shut down for the year. I sent you a text. It's another tough, tough year as a Chargers fan. Whew. No Keenan Allen tonight. Maybe no Josh Jacobs for the Raiders. It could be uh, really, really gross tonight. Yeah, yeah, it could be tough. Man. Some of these Thursday night games, like it was, it's funny. The Monday night games, the fact there was two games on was great. And then again, it was so unpredictable. I still can't believe the Titans beat the Dolphins. I mean, the Dolphins, they look like Super Bowl contenders to pretenders. Who knows where that team's going to be? Like, they still should make playoffs and win that division. But, man, that was kind of alarming. And then the Giants, Tommy DeVito, everyone's going nuts. He is totally capitalizing on the amount of Italian-Americans in New Jersey because they got the Tommy Cutlets nickname. And you, you got the Italian hand gesture. You have his agent. Like yeah. I'm like, this, this guy is straight out of Central Cash. It's hysterical. Only in New York, Tommy DeVito which was the name of Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas. Yes. And win three straight games, and all of a sudden for a 5-8 and eight team, everyone's talking, hey, DeVito. <laughs> it's unbelievable that his agent's outfit was outrageous for that game, and his family's going crazy on the tailgate. Uh, what a story Tommy DeVito is for the, uh, for the New York Giants. Before I let you go, uh, sad news earlier this week. Uh, one of the most underappreciated actors, I think, of his generation – uh, you mentioned uh, his time in Glory, which is a great film from 1989 that had Matthew Broderick, uh, Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington. So many people are going to remember him for a great role in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but uh, the man that passed away this week, uh, I think you and me are going to remember him for some other things. What a great actor that we lost uh, earlier this week, Adnan. 
I'm so glad you mentioned it, Logan. I was absolutely crestfallen. My wife texted me. I was putting the kids to bed. I'm like, oh, my God, Andre Brower has died. You know, as a teenager growing up in eastern Ontario, I would watch Homicide Life on the Street religiously. I had like three channels as a kid, and we lived in a remote area. Now, my dad's not going to get cable, and the you know, TV's all fuzzy. But I still have like VHS copies of watching Homicide. That show was incredible. It was so riveting and so revolutionary, well-written by Tom Fontana and directed by Barry Levinson, of course, you and I know from Rain Man and all his feature films. But Brower was the star, like incredible ensemble cast with Ned Beatty and all these other great actors, Clark Johnson, fellow Canadian. But Pembleton, Andre Brower's character was amazing, brilliant, smart, caustic, antisocial, and like unforgettable. And I, I remember watching that show and going, this guy is the best actor on television. And exactly, you put the perfect word, underappreciated. Every year I'd go, nobody's watching the show. Like I, as a nerd, was reading Entertainment Weekly when I was 15. And they would show all the highest rated shows on television. NYPD Blue, which I did like, was very well rated. Nobody watched Homicide. The critics loved it. And there's a small niche audience that loved it. And we all knew how good Andre Brower was. I remember when he finally won the Emmy. It was the final season. I was like, oh, my God, the dam is finally broke. People have awoken how great this guy is. It was like a Lifetime Achievement Award. And his speech was wonderful. He's, you know, thank you to all the great people of Baltimore and I always anger people who love The Wire. I tell them all the time, no, the best Baltimore cop show is called Homicide Life <laughs> on the Street because of Andre Brower. And then their heads explode telling me how great The Wire is. But <laughs> I loved him, man. My, I, I would watch him anything. As you said, Glory, he's amazing because Denzel won the Oscar. Yeah. And Morgan Freeman is fantastic. And Matthew Broderick is the lead role. Kerry Ellis is very good. But Brower's, again, unforgettable playing Thomas, you know, the very smart, educated black soldier who gets thrust in that situation. He was pitch perfect. I mean, any movie, he was in the movie She Said coming a couple of years ago, small role, but still great. Like Andre Brower, just by his mere presence, that film would elevate it. And that's a, it's a terrible loss, man. 61 years of age. I, I didn't watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I know people love the show. I saw little clips here and there, and I know how funny he was. But he's a rare actor could be that good dramatically and also that good comedically. And when I interviewed Ray Romano, I asked him about it because they had that show Men of a Certain Age. Only lasted two seasons, but I really enjoyed it because of Andre Brower. And Ray told me, he said, when they cast him, they weren't looking for that type of actor. But he came in and just blew them away. And he said, I'll tell you, Andre's like a Shakespearean-trained actor. So he said, the ad-libbing stuff he wasn't as good, he wasn't as comfortable with. He just, he just hadn't done it. But you give that guy like a 10-page monologue, he'd come back the next morning just, just mesmerizing how good an actor he was. He said he really kind of elevated the entire production. So I'm really upset I never got to interview him, but um, a lot of stories coming through what a generous actor he was. And, it's a huge loss, man. 61 years of age. I'm, I'm going to get some time this weekend and rewatch some old Homicide episodes and rewatch Glory again just to appreciate what a wonderful actor he was. Yeah, I'm going to go check out some of those Homicide uh, Life on the Street ones again, too. That was one of my favorites, and I loved Glory. Glory was one of those weird movies that oh. nobody else really knew about unless you were like, hey, it was Denzel. And you're like, oh, yeah, Denzel was in that. Like, I just, it was one of those awesome movies, really well cast, really good. Uh, and I appreciate the nerd out about stuff like that uh, in those conversations with you. Adnan, I appreciate the time as always, pal. Have a great weekend. Good luck to your Eagles on Monday. I appreciate it, Logan. Good luck to your Chargers. We'll talk soon, pal. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Adnan Vert joining us from MLB Network and the Cinephile Podcast, our Thursday regular right here on Sportsnet today. We'll take a break, come back on the other side, kicking off Hour 2 to Flames Game Day, Flames and the Minnesota Wild right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.